Connecting Lasting Love podcast presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hey there, and welcome to a very special episode of the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. My name is Roy Biancolana. I am your host, and I got to tell you, long before I ever launched this podcast, when it was just a twinkle in my eye, I was hoping to have Jim Dethmer on the program. This man is, without a doubt, the most important and impactful person in my life. Not only has he been my best friend for 30 years, I mean, he's been the person that if I'm celebrating something, he's the first person I call. If I'm suffering in some way, if I'm stuck in some way, if I'm, if I'm in a bad place or in trouble or something, he's the first person I call. So he's just been my best friend. You know, not in the sense that I see him more than anyone else or talk to him more than anyone else. That is certainly not true. It's just that this, this guy, Jim, knows me better than anybody else in the world, including my wife. I mean, I've known him for 30 years. I've only known my wife for 15, okay? So he's that important to me. And more than that, he has been not just a friend and a golfing buddy. He's been kind of a mentor to me. You know, he's he's been a guide. He's been a guru, I guess you could say, in living consciously and loving consciously. And Because as you'll hear, Jim has done his work. Jim has had his wounding and has his issues like all the rest of us. And he has really worked on himself and come out the other side. I really do think that Jim is probably the most enlightened person that I know in terms of he really practices what he preaches. And he has gone from a life that had quite a bit of drama and chaos and difficulty, both personally and professionally for for him, which he'll allude to, to a life that he lives now that um, he rarely gets triggered by things. He lives in a state of real happiness and joy and connectedness and and bliss, I guess I could even say. I, I he He's... He's just done his work to where he's come out the other side and you know he's just transcended a lot of the junk that most of us get tripped up on. But in the process, he's learned so much and he's probably the most insightful and powerful communicator on living life, living consciously, creating great relationships and so forth. And so we just have a great conversation. You're going to love it. Now, on a professional level, he'll describe a little bit about what he does, but he co-founded the Conscious Leadership Group. His website is conscious.is, and he also co-wrote the book, the, the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which I believe is probably the best leadership management book in the world, okay? And so, even though his work focuses on applying consciousness and mindfulness into the professional environment. You know, people are people. And so the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, you could easily just edit the book a little bit and all of a sudden it's the 15 commitments of conscious relationships or conscious parenting or just conscious living because the commitments, the principles of living an awakened life, a life of meaning and purpose and a life without drama and without suffering. You know, it's the same stuff, whether you're talking about a business environment or a personal life environment. Okay. So you're in for a real treat here. Um, And after we wrap up our conversation, I will come back on with a couple of closing comments because we get into some deep, some pretty deep, pretty personal issues that I want to follow up with you on and maybe give you some next steps. So definitely stick around to the end because he works with me. Like I sort of become a client of his and 
he helps me sort of deal with something that has been triggering me and has triggered me in the past. And so you really want to listen in on that. And that comes down towards the end. And then I'll come on and make some closing comments and we'll go from there. All right. All right. So sit back, sort of buckle up, open your heart to some really great stuff. And now I bring you my best friend and just an amazing person, Jim Dethmer. Well, Jim, welcome to the program. I'm so glad to have you on. (laughs) So glad to be here, Roy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, I think um, I've known you for 30 years and we know each other inside and out, but of course the listener doesn't really know much about you. So why don't you take a minute or two and tell people a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your family, the work that you do, you know, just kind of give them a, a little insight into yourself. Okay, great. Uh, well, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, on the outside, pretty much a normal childhood uh, for a, a boy of that time. So I played sports and uh, did okay in school, um, you know, social as I wanted to be. Inside, I was pretty lonely the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's important because that loneliness came along with or created an ache inside of me. Hmm. And that ache stayed with me for many, many years. And it really drove me to become a seeker. I wanted to get rid of the ache. Hmm. So that really created the trajectory of my life. Uh, I, after college, I went to graduate school. I got very interested in spiritual matters, especially aspects of Christianity. So my advanced degree is in theology. Again, I was looking to spirituality to remove the ache. Hmm. And there were some dimensions of the Christian faith that really did uh, give me insight into the ache and help me a little bit. But by and large, it didn't remove the ache. Hmm. So after being a minister for a number of years, I left that and became a private practice counselor and then led men in men's work, uh, kind of midlife men's work. And then I stopped doing that, became an executive coach, and that's kind of been the trajectory of my life since then, all built around conscious leadership Mm. and what it means to be a present human being, to be here now in a non-reactive, non-triggered way, able to access your creative gift in the now moment, able to lead people, relate to people. And that's what my company, the Conscious Leadership Group, does now. We support leaders around the world to expand in conscious leadership. Our big idea is to help end suffering on the planet. Hmm. And it's all driven by what I learned about that ache. Hmm. It's also, since I was a little kid, I was always interested in relationships. So a huge part of what we do is teaching people how to have conscious relationships, Hmm. professionally, personally, in every dimension. And then I've always been interested in leadership. So that's what I do. That's where I'm from. That's kind of how I got to be doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tremendous. So I was thinking, you know, I've known you for 30 years. And I don't want to break this down into like clean decades. But there's like three phases that I've sort of seen you go through. Okay. And the first phase, you know, was there was a lot of chaos and a lot of drama you know, in your life, whether it was your marriage or your work. And you just, you just, you were like, you've never been a normal dude, you know, in my mind anyway, but you were experiencing the normal ways that people experience life. It was just some drama and chaos and different things like that. And then, then you went on this seeking journey and you um, have set a pace for me and many other people in your commitment to learning and so forth. So I, you've read, hundreds, thousands of books. You've been to workshops and you've worked with, you know, Dr. Gay Hendricks and Hale DeWoskin and Byron Katie. I mean, you've, you've really gone to the people who propose that they sort of know how to live a happy life, a place from well-being and connected relationships and learn from them and so forth. And then this last phase, the part that's both annoying to me and inspiring is at least for the last 10 years, Jim, I don't think I've ever seen you kind of have a problem. Like, like, like there's no drama in your life anymore. Like, um, and that's not to say that you're some monk that lives, 
you know, in a cave in Tibet and you've isolated yourself, you know, those guys go over there, they sit in a cave and they have no drama while they're, they're not living kind of a normal life. You, you're married, you have people that work with you and for you, you have your kids, you have stepkids, you have all the normal shit that usually gives people suffering of some kind, conflict. And every time I talk to you, I'm like, Jim, in fact, I remember a conversation with you not that long ago, maybe a year or two ago. I'm like, so what are the challenges you're facing in your life? And you sort of said, dude, I just don't have that happen to me anymore. Um, So here's my question. First, am I describing things pretty accurately or am I overstating, you know, know, exaggerating, you know, uh, you? And secondly, like, okay, how'd you do that? Uh, Like, what have you learned? Are there some things that stand out? Because I think most people would like to experience life without drama. They're connected. They're making a difference in the world with their work. They don't get triggered and reactive. They just live in a place of equilibrium and, and groundedness and a sense of not, not joy like, oh, joy, but a sense of well-being and openness all the time, you know. And so you're there. And so I was like, how, how do you get there? What are some yeah. of the stepping stones that you found and learned along the way? <laughs> okay, beautiful. Um, first of all, I like the three eras of my life. I think that's accurate. Um, I don't think it's accurate to say that I don't get triggered. Um, I do get triggered. I do get reactive. But a major change that has occurred in the last, whatever, 10, 15 years is the reactivity doesn't stay around very long. Mm. I say that because I, I imagine there are people who do not get triggered. Maybe some of the people we love, like Eckhart Tolle or Michael Singer, maybe they never get triggered. I hold that as a possibility. But if I'm, you and I love our shared passion for golf. If I'm an important golf round and I pull hook something into the weeds, (laughs) my body contracts. Anger shows up. Self-judgment shows up. Uh, If uh, one of our kids or our grandkids does something or shows up in a certain way in a given moment, reactivity shows up. So it's not that um, anger or tension or contraction or judgment doesn't show up. They still show up for me, but they don't last long. And that's a big difference. So like in my marriage with Debbie, it's not that we don't have moments of drama, although they're, they are fairly few and infrequent, but it's been years since a drama lasted more than 30 minutes for sure, maybe 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. because we know how to clear drama out of a relationship. We just know we are devoted and we practice. So that's probably a more accurate statement. Okay. Now, what have I learned about how to do that? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, let's start at the in, 50,000 foot level. In 15 minutes, level. right, right. Yeah, well, we could do, we could. We could start at the 50,000 foot level and yeah. say the only way to be triggered, reactive, have drama, or suffer, the only way to have it is to resist what is. Mm. Just start there. If you yeah. want to come up with a big goal of life, Stop resisting what is. Learn how to be with what is occurring from a place of openness, acceptance, and even welcoming. Mm. Because it's not the occurrences of life that cause our upset. (laughs) It is our resistance of them that causes our upset. Now, you know this. But there it is in a nutshell. Of course, that's right. basically what Buddha said. That's basically what Jesus said. It's basically what most of the great philosophers have said. Now, saying the only way to suffer is to resist what is, is fairly easy to say, whether you agree or disagree. Right. Living it is a different thing because our entire ego system, our ego identity is set up to believe that there's a way the world should be in a way the world shouldn't be. Now, whether we've articulated that to ourselves, whether we could write it all out on a sheet of paper, which we could in some ways, we all believe 
There's a way that my parents should treat me. There's a way my parents shouldn't treat me. There's a way the weather should be. There's a way the weather shouldn't be. There's a way my body should feel and move. There's a way it shouldn't. We are There's ego a way my relationship believe. status or relationships should go. Yeah, That's exactly right. And then when we get hooked on believing that thought, and then the world doesn't show up the way we think it should show up. The relationship I'm in isn't the way I think it should be. I'm not in a relationship, and I think I should be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's that resistance to the world being the way the world is that causes all of our suffering. So that'd be principle number one. Principle number two, in order to suffer, now again, we're still at 50,000 feet. We can get incredibly practical. At 50,000 feet, in order to suffer, you have to leave the present moment. Hmm. If we could just stay in this present moment, being with this breath, this sensation, this thought, this image that's arising, this sound, we would never suffer. You just If everybody would just pay attention and deconstruct their upsets, their tension, their anxiety, they would discover that in order to have any of those things, you have to go out into the future into the imagined future. Whether it's five minutes or five years, right? Whether it's five minutes or five years, literally it could be five seconds into the future. Right. But you got to go into the future and you've got to start anticipating, whether it's anticipating the date you're going to go on on Friday night. You're sitting there, it's Tuesday morning. You're having your cup of tea. You're listening to beautiful music. Your body is in a state of peace and equanimity. You're in this now moment, tasting the tea, hearing the music, feeling your body. And then you go, oh, God, I got a date on Friday night. (laughs) Uh, What should I wear? Oh, God, the last date I went on just totally sucked. He or she was a jerk or I said the wrong thing. Or, you know, my relationship with dating just is a disaster. Now... I've lost my equanimity. Now I'm into a stressed out state, but the stress isn't here now unless I imagine Friday night or I can go into the past and I can think about the date I had last Friday night and I can have guilt or shame or I can have regret or remorse. And then I've gone out of the present moment and now I'm in upset or disturbance. So principle number one, The only way you can have suffering is to resist what is. Principle number two, the only way you can have drama is to leave the present moment. So just start there. There's a couple of 50,000 foot ideas. Now, how to make that practical in day-to-day life, that's a whole different set of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that. I think what you just described about a person on Tuesday morning thinking about Friday, I I think everybody listening just went, oh my God, how did he know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, One thing to follow up, you talked about the loneliness and that ache. Um, I I, got to chase that rabbit. Like, what did you discover about that? And because I don't know if everybody everybody would describe it that way. um, But I think all of us, like Scott Killaby one time, he said that if you just sit for like an hour and turn off all your devices and just no TV, no phone, no computer, no, just sit there all by yourself, no music, no nothing. What you're going to find is there's some, he called it restlessness. There's something there that's not comfortable. So whether someone says I can identify with the ache uh, or they might use it as they might say that I'm not good enough or, they might call it loneliness or they might call it restlessness or, you know, um, how did you work with that? And I I know, I know again, that was a 10 year process of you unpacking it, but perhaps you could give some pointers that the listener then has an opportunity to follow up with me, with a therapist, with someone somehow to take it and apply it to their own lives. Yeah. I forget who said it, but somebody had that great quote that basically said, All of mankind or humankind's problems stem from our inability to be alone with ourselves. Yeah. He was talking about like war and things like that. Because what you said, like Killaby, just try to sit alone by yourself for an hour with no stimulants, Mm -hmm. external or internal, and see how you do. 
Yeah. And yeah, I love it because for some of it's an ache of loneliness. For some of us, it's a fidgetiness. For some of us, it's uh, anxiety. For some of us, it's just a gnawing sense of unworth. Something bubbles up. Boredom is a big one. Okay. At a practical level. Now, first of all, I'd say great to go to therapy. You know, do some therapy. Uh, in therapy, you can get deep insight into the wounds that have created that angst that's vibrating inside of you. And in some therapy, you can actually get some help with how to deal with it. But a lot of therapy is insight-oriented. If you have trauma, serious trauma, do trauma work. The great news about the world today is our ability to support people who have trauma, and most of us have trauma, has grown exponentially because of things like somatic experience therapy, Peter Levine's work. Because now the emerging uh, world of psychedelics and MDMA and psilocybin's ability to heal trauma because of uh, modalities like brain spotting. So do therapy. If you have trauma, deal with your trauma. Get some support around your trauma. But now let's say we're just dealing with the ordinary shit of life Hmm. that comes up if I just sit still. Well, the thing that I like around this is what you and I both know of as the triple welcoming. We got it from Hale Dwaskin, who is one of my mentors and yours, and I love it. And it's called the triple welcoming because it's built on the premise that if I stop resisting what is and I welcome it, what I discover is that it's like a soap bubble. It appears real, but it pops. And on the other side of it, there is whatever you want to call it, peace, equanimity, joy, happiness, something else is there. So the triple welcoming is just beginning with the first question you just ask yourself is what's here now? So if you're sitting there and you feel some agitation in the body, and you're having the thought, uh, let's keep it in this context. Uh, I shouldn't have said what I said last night on that day. That was stupid. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of maybe guilt or regret, maybe a little bit of sadness. The first question in the triple welcoming is, can you just welcome all that? Now, Sometimes I say to people, maybe you can't welcome it, but could you just acknowledge that there's tension in the body, there's sadness, there's guilt, there's the thought, I shouldn't have done that. Can you just acknowledge that that's here? Because we're already resisting it. So it's like, take a breath. Ah, yeah, all that's here right now. And then I say to people, could you just allow it to be here for a moment? So stop resisting it. Let the body sensations the guilt, the sadness, the personal judgment, the regret. Could you just allow it? So you're softening a little bit. And see, we're doing the exact opposite of what we think we should do. We think we should get rid of it. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because it sucks. Right. So we're going, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this? Then we try to think our way out of it or analyze our way out of it or distract our way out of it or anesthetize ourselves from it. Was that but a it never that you goes did away. With your, with your ache, it, did you go through a process where you spent years trying to get rid of it, and then you made yes. a shift of saying it's here and I welcome it, and then that did something to it that the resistance never did? Yes, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. I either resisted it, which I could do by trying to distract myself, go read another book, um, go play golf, uh, go, you know search the internet for something, just distract myself. Mm -hmm. Or I tried to anesthetize myself, which could be any form of drugs or uh, compulsive behavior or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Or I tried to deny it Hmm. and just run from it, act like it wasn't there. And then eventually, by the way, I went on um, antidepressant medication, which was great because I went to, I had a great doctor of world-class holistic medicine doctor. And she said to me after a lot of tests, she said, Jim, you know, you meditate, you you eat healthy, you live healthy, and the ache is still here. Have you ever thought about just going on antidepressants? And so I said, no. I said, so I did. It was great, by the way. I went on those things, and after about six weeks, the ache went away. 
which was great. Probably there was a chemical thing. Probably I was subclinically depressed most of my life. Great, great, great. No problem with any of that. But then after about a year, I thought, I'm going to go off this. Now, the ache came back not nearly as strong. Mm -hmm. Now I was ready. I had enough tools to say, I'm not going to try to get rid of it. I'm going to go into it. Mm -hmm. So that began the process of, can I acknowledge what's here? Can I allow it? And then it got to, can I welcome it? Now, that doesn't mean like celebrate it, love it. It didn't mean that at first. It just meant, can I just welcome what's here now? And I always just say, you know this, Roy. We always say, as best I can and just for now. Mm -hmm. Can I welcome it as best I can and just for now? And as soon as I started doing that, both with the ache and everything else that's occurred in my life since then, it's not that the ache went away right away. What happened was all of a sudden it was there, but there was a softening to it. Another way of saying that is it bothered me less. Mm. It could be here and I was okay. Just a little bit. Okay. And by the way, this happened immediately. And I've, worked with hundreds, so have you, hundreds of people around this. And almost everybody reports that just softening and going, could I just allow it to be here? And by the way, usually at that point, I'm focusing on the specific sensation in my body. Right. And when I say, yeah, I could just allow it, it's like it softens just a little bit. And that's only the first of the three welcomings. Right. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. We're going to get, then, we're, go, ahead, go, go ahead, but we're going to, I definitely want to do a little welcoming process as an example for everyone later on. But if you got more to say there. No, if we're going to come back to it, we'll come back to it. But yeah. that's the key to beginning to apply non-resistance, non-attachment, non-judgment, the three Buddhist keys right. to having peace, to ending suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, You've written a book uh, called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Um, and so the book is framed toward organizational issues, workplace issues. But I've often thought that the, fifth, you, the book could be retitled with a little bit of editing, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Relationships or Conscious Parenting, because the commitments are sort of broad enough and they apply to any area of our life. It's just that you're, you're working with organizations and companies in that kind of context. Um, so most of your work is centered on these commitments. And I, and, and I want you to talk about, about them. Um, because one of the things that you say that I think is profound is that we're always committed to something. We're, we're committed to living a certain way and we sort of know what our commitments are based upon our results. See, I think. People hear commitments and they think intention or they think, well, this is what I say I want to do or what I am planning to do. But you have a whole different idea around what commitments are. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. When most people think about commitment, they think about intention or they think about devotion. You hear people say all the time, you need to be more committed. You need mm -hmm. to be more committed, like ramp up the intensity of your commitment. Right. Or you need to have clearer commitment. Like you're saying, that's intentionality. By the way, those are legitimate uses. We just don't use it that way. Mm -hmm. We go back to the Latin words, which mean to come together and to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much a statement of what your intention is or what your devotion is. It's a statement of how you're currently organizing your energy. And you can tell how you're currently organizing your energy, how you're bringing it together and moving it into the world. You can tell by your results. So a great way to illustrate is everybody who's listening to this podcast is currently sitting in a chair, riding in their car, riding on a bus, going for a walk. And all I would say is the way we use commitment is if you're listening to this podcast, sitting in a chair, or on a, a chair on your deck, all I would say is you're committed to sitting down. 
or if you're listening while you're walking, you're committed to walking. How do we know? Because you're sitting down (laughs) or you're walking. Yeah. And you have your life organized to produce the result of sitting down. So I said, now imagine that in just a moment, you're going to stand up. Now we stand up out of a seated position all the time, but we don't deconstruct what happens. If you deconstruct what happens is all of a sudden you organize your body and your energy to produce a different result. You lean forward. You change your body weight. You put pressure on the balls of your feet. Your quads get engaged. Now you're, you're being with your life from a different energy and you create a different result. Now you stand up. Once you're standing up, I would say you are committed to standing. How do we know? You're standing. Now, here's the deal. If you're seated there and I say, would you like to stand up? And you go, I'd like to stand up. Can you envision standing up? I can envision standing up. Would you be dedicated to standing up? And you go, I am dedicated to standing up. But you're still sitting down. Right. You're committed to sitting down, which leads to what you referenced. You can tell what you're committed to by the results you're getting. Now, that's a transformational principle that we got from Gay Hendricks that changed my life, that changes the life of most of my clients. Because then if you want to look at what you're committed to, just look at your results. And then you can start, I ask people, If I wanted to create the same results you're creating, let's say in your relational life, Mm -hmm. if I wanted to create relationships that were filled with conflict, or if I wanted to uh, create myself not having any relationships, how would I organize myself to create that result? We call it teach the class. Mm -hmm. So teach the class. How would I organize myself to create that exact result? And then you come up with five things or 10 things. Then you've got the formula for how to create the commitment that you're currently living in. Well, guess what? That formula, if you do the opposite of it, do the opposite, not believe, not intend, do the opposite, will create a different result. So that's what we mean about being committed. And it has huge implications for creating relationships. And it has huge implications once you're in a relationship. Because the key to a long-lasting intimate relationship is to be co-committed. To be clear about what my commitments are, as evidenced by my results, and to partner with somebody who has the same commitments. If I'm committed to candor, and you're not, we're going to have constant conflict about different issues. If I'm committed to feel my feelings, and you're not, we're going to have constant conflict. If you're committed to living in a state of appreciation, and I'm committed to living in a state of entitlement, we'll have constant conflict. So relationships really get traction when people decide what they are committed to and creating co-committed relationships. Yeah, you know all this. This is what your books are all about. But for those who are listening, that's the articulation of it. Yes, but I I think the radical nature of what you're saying is because the conversation begins first at what you are currently committed to. See, most people think about the change they want. They think about, you know, I want to meet someone. I don't want to be single anymore. I want this or I want a different job. So they think about what they want. But what you're describing is before you even think about making any kind of change, you, you have to take like radical responsibility for what you are currently committed to creating in your life. Now, that's exactly right. That is an un... If the, if the viewer understands that, your head should explode because that, that is such a radical thing so that if I'm single and I haven't been on a date for a while or all my relationships seem to end after two months or something we have, you know, everybody that I work with has some sort of pattern they can point to. 
Yeah. I don't meet anyone or I do meet people. We have chemistry and that doesn't go anywhere. I've had clients tell me that it's like unbelievable. After three months, they disappear on me. It's happened like four or five times. So I'm committed to having a relationship that will go the distance or that won't do that. But we start by, well, you are committed based upon your results to creating relationships that end at three months. Yes. So are you willing to start there and to honestly look at the results and not blame it on someone, blame it on God, blame it on fate, blame it on whatever and say, no, for some reason that I don't, maybe I don't even know what it is, but I am claiming that my results are coming from something that I'm, I'm organizing my energy to produce this. And so starting there, and, and that's where that teaching the drama class comes in, you know, teach people how to have relationships end at three months because you're the expert at it right? yes. or teach people yes. how to be in this world and never go on a date for five years Yeah, because it's not happening to you. It's happening by you. Right. That's right. So that's the big shift from what I want to what am I actually committed to? And if you can own that, perhaps playfully, perhaps without self judgment, but just say, okay, this is what I've been doing. This is how I've been doing it. Um, it, it. At what point, well, how does the change take place? Is it because you've identified all the ways in which I'm keeping myself stuck in the pattern? So I just do the opposite. Well, yeah. Right, yeah. So the, the change takes place at several levels. First of all, in psychological terms, you've moved the locus of control really important thing, from outside of you to inside of you. Mm. So now you're not at the effect of people's circumstances and conditions. You're not in victim consciousness. Now you have claimed responsibility for being the creator of your reality. I am committed to having relationships and after three months. By the way, you said, you know, maybe without self-judgment, I would say you have to actually go farther than that because what people do is once one of the reasons they resist taking radical responsibility and claiming their commitments is because they think that there is a problem. It's a problem that my relationships end after three months. Makes sense. They think that. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's a problem and they move the locus of control to themselves then the move that they often do is blame themselves, which is no different than blaming the other person or blaming your parents or blaming society. You're still in blame consciousness. Here's what I tell people all the time. There's a really good reason you're creating a life where your relationships end in three months. You're not crazy. There's something going on in you that doesn't trust life, that doesn't trust that you're lovable, that doesn't trust that uh, you can make yourself safe, that is terrified of long-term commitments. So it's not that you're bad for ending relationships in three months. You're doing the best you know how to protect yourself from something that is scaring you down deep. So it's not only that I don't judge myself, I actually develop self-compassion for the way I'm living my life because you can't change what you can't love. So you can't change the pattern of relationships ending in three months unless you can love yourself for the commitments that have created your life that way. Then after self-compassion or self-acceptance, comes the possibility to create a new set of commitments. But that that self-compassion has to follow self-awareness, which comes when I stop blaming others and start claiming responsibility for my commitments. And we could just stop there, right? People could just spend, we say those are the first two commitments of our book, basically. And we say to people, you can spend the next five years just on those first two commitments. Don't even go to the rest of them. Right. Right. Just become it's self-aware and bring compassion to what you see right there. That and own your unconscious you commitments. Right. It just is a total game changer. Right. Yeah. Right. 
Amazing. Now, you mentioned candor, and that's one of the major 15 commitments. And I want to just bat this around a little bit because I just know from myself and I know from 15 years of working with people that are single and so forth that everybody says that they want to be in an authentic, open, transparent, honest raw, real relationship. I've never, I've never worked with anyone that says, I want to be in a relationship where we all play games and we give half truths and we manipulate and, you know, nobody wants that. So why do you even, so what does candor actually mean? I guess, um, since most people say they want that, I've experienced that people misunderstand what real authenticity is. Um, So talk a little bit about what it means to be a person who's committed to being candid and to being open, honest, and so forth. How does that show up in relationship and so forth? Sure. Before I do that, I just want to say what you just described is exactly what we were talking about. So if somebody says to me, I want to be in an open, authentic, real, transparent relationship, I'll often say, I believe you. Now tell me about your current relationships. Are they open, authentic, genuine, real? And they say, well, uh, not really. Like my relationship with my mother is not open, authentic, genuine, real. My relationship with my boss is not open, authentic, genuine, real. My relationship with my 13-year-old is, okay, great. Then you're telling me what you want, but what you're committed to Mm. is hiding and managing the amount of yourself that you make known in order to manipulate other people. God, People just back up the tape and listen to that sentence again. (laughs) Right. So the opposite of being authentic, open, real, honest, transparent is to be closed, to hide, to withhold is one of our favorite words, to withhold, then fill in the blank, withhold my thoughts, withhold my judgments, withhold my feelings, withhold my wants. And I withhold, which is the opposite of candor, is withholding. If you get to the bottom of it, I withhold because I'm trying to manipulate another person. It's it's just this simple. If I'm out on that first Friday night date, and now's the time to start practicing candor, and they ask me a question, and I go, Now, I could be candid right here and really tell everything there is to say about myself, or I could manage the outflow of information. And you look over at the other person, you go, you know, I like the chemistry here. This could be a good relationship. You know, it's not like I want to torpedo this thing in the first hour of our first date. So I'm going to reveal just not fully, because if I said everything that was authentic here, I would be afraid that Mm. they would judge me. There wouldn't be a second date. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't understand me. I might lose control Mm. of them and how they're responding. So I manage my communication. This is what people need to get Mm -hmm. in order to control them so that they'll do what I want them to do. They'll think what I want them to think. They'll feel what I want them to feel. And they'll treat me the way I want them to treat me. Mm -hmm. When I practice candor, candor is just basically being open, being honest and being uh, aware. If I'm fully open, if I'm honesty and openness are two different things. Yes. Everything I say could be honest, but I'm not open. I'm not fully revealed. So candor is everything I say is the truth as I currently experience it. I say everything there is to say, that's openness, and I'm growing in my awareness. When those three circles are growing together, I'm becoming more and more candid. But candor always involves risk. Always. I I practice candor. I practice candor with Debbie, who is my intimate partner. We have a world-class relationship. And there's almost always something I could reveal about myself that if I revealed it, I'd be afraid that she would be critical, that she would be angry, that she would judge me, that she wouldn't understand me, that she might pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
always, that never goes away. <laughs> so people say to me, I want a candid, open, honest, authentic relationship. I say, great. What are you willing to risk for it? Yes. That's really important, Roy. Mm. What are you willing to risk for it? Mm. And until people face that question, they'll never create sustainable, authentic relationships. I'm willing to risk my relationship with Debbie in this moment to be authentic. I'm willing to risk a little bit of chaos. I'm willing to risk hurt feelings. Mm. I'm willing to risk being misunderstood in order to be candid. I'm willing to let her have her experience, not try to control it. She can have her anger. She can have her sad. She can have her upset. She can have her judgments. Those are the keys to creating candid relationships. But most of us are too scared to live like that for yeah. good reason. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, candor is an area that I've grown in, but I totally can experience every, everything you just said. Um, what I have found is when I've found the strength to, to take the risk what I found is a sense of aliveness that comes in behind it. There's something about letting another human being know the reality over here in Royville as messed up as it might be as, as, as much as I might judge someone if they had my thoughts <laughs> or my, as much as I might, Oh God, what a piece of crap you are. It, when I, when I find it within myself to say, this is just the truth of me right now in this now moment, this is what I'm thinking, feeling, wanting. There's an aliveness that is, is, is kind of indescribable. And yes. for me, the, the, that's what's worth the risk is yes. the feeling. And sometimes when I've been honest, I, I do get judged. So it's not like, oh, you're going to be transparent and no, everyone's going to say, oh, wonderful. No, they may actually walk away from, they may think you're crazy. They may think you're high maintenance. They may think, oh, they're insecure. Oh, you're lonely. Oh, you know, you got, yeah. you got abandonment issues. You know, yeah. uh, they might walk away. But if they do, I have found that I end up walking away feeling like that's just the reality of who I am. And there's, a, there's an energy inside of me. And almost the sort of the, the commitment of like, if, if they don't want to be close to that, then it's, it's not about me. That's not personal. It's like, we're just not a good match then. Right. Because the, the alternative is to play the game and hide and only show people the part I want you to see. And then you fall in love with me. But I know you're not really in love with me. You're just in love with the part I showed you. Right. When you do see the other part, then the honeymoon is going to be over. And right. So I, I tell my clients all the time, if you want to feel really secure in a relationship, then be completely naked with them, because if they love you and they see all of you, now you can say, well, then they love all the warts and all. But if you withhold parts of you and play that kind of pretending game, which I think most of us do, I'm, I could be projecting because that's my racket in life. You never end up feeling secure in a relationship because I could always be found out. So there is a risk, but there's a return that I usually am glad I took the risk. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Two great statements about candor. It's impossible to ever be safe unless I'm candid. Mm. Second, candor is the ultimate aphrodisiac. When I work with couples who are a little stuck and losing their mojo sexually, I almost always know they've stopped being candid with each other. Yeah. So candor has some real payoffs, aliveness, security, and sexual vibrancy. Those are pretty big payoffs. For candor. I would say so. I yeah. would say so. All right. So let's circle back and let's do this triple welcoming thing. And okay, great. I'll be able to be the listener um, without having to make it up too much because I want to come to you and say that I'm feeling lonely and okay. I want to get rid of it. And I I'm, I'm lonely because 
that was a huge theme in my life um, that led to so much drama. Because when we're lonely, boy, we, we do all kinds of things to deal with that rather than just to be with it. So, so let's just say that I was feeling this way and I got you on the phone, Jim, I'm just, I'm a mess, man. I'm just feeling lonely. And so just take it from there with me. Okay. Well, if we were really doing a session, I'd say, tell me about your loneliness. What's going on with, do you have thoughts associated with it? But let's just cut to the chase and get after yeah. After a while, I would say yeah, the to story you, I is would, I haven't met anyone. I'm living alone. And it's just it's boring. And so I could yeah. tell the story about why I think I'm lonely. But but yeah, got just, it. Then dealing Beautiful. with the feeling. Got it. Beautiful. Eventually, after you got that, I understood and uh, accepted you and you felt safe. I would say this, Roy, this can be a funny question, but I want you to check. Where is the loneliness in your body? Where do you feel it in your body? It's not just a thought. It does include thoughts. I'm going to be alone forever. But that's showing up in your body. Where's the loneliness in your body? Well, there's a like a heavy, and I would almost say it's kind of weird, but it's a dark feeling in the center of my chest. That there's a, yeah. It's a heaviness, um, a kind of a blackness. Um, the word hopeless kind of pops up in my mind. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So it's in your chest, it's dark, it's heavy, and the word hopeless shows up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want you to place your attention now on your chest. Okay. All that means is just instead of paying attention to anything else, just rest your attention on your chest. Mm -hmm. And as you do that, see if you can see the heaviness, feel the heaviness, the darkness, even see the hopeless. Can you feel it and see it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely. Great. I'm, 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 I'm worried that the more I put my attention on it, the, the, the stronger it will get. Well, let's see. Let's just see what happens. That worry makes sense. But go ahead and rest your attention on the particular spot where you feel the heaviness. Mm -hmm. I have my hand there right now. Great. Beautiful. And just for this moment, five minutes from now, you can change. But just for this moment, as best you can, could you just let the heaviness be there? Just for a breath. It, it doesn't mean that I'm giving into it and letting it just be here forever, right? It's just, you're just saying, can I just welcome it? That it's, that it, it's actually right here, right now. Yeah, I'm not actually even asking you to welcome it. I'm just saying, can you just acknowledge that the heaviness is there? Yeah, sure. It's there. Yeah. Great. And just for a breath, could you just allow it to be there? It's there. Could you just yeah. let it be there? Yes. Just for a breath. Great. Beautiful. Now, as you acknowledge it and as you allow it to be there, Tell me what's happening to the sensation. It could be getting bigger like you're afraid of, or it could be getting softer, or it could be changing shape or texture. We don't care. I just want to know what's happening to it. Well, I felt like a, a little space opened up around it. It didn't feel as heavy or as tight. It felt like um, in some way I just gave it room to be a little bit. It just felt Beautiful. like it just had space. Beautiful. So... As you rest your attention there in the chest and as you acknowledge and allow it, you notice some space shows up. Beautiful. Now, if this were a real session, Roy, I'd keep going. We'd keep going there. But I want to get to the other two pieces. Now, Roy, with your attention on that heaviness, if it's still there, or the sense of hopeless, I want to ask you, tune into that sensation and answer from your heart. Does it feel like that sensation is coming? from wanting approval? Like, does it feel like it's coming from wanting to be liked, loved, valued, esteemed? Maybe, just check. Or does it feel like it's coming from wanting control? Like wanting to be able to control your life or the lives of others or control your singleness? Does it feel like it's coming from control? Or does it feel like it's coming from wanting safety, security, 
survivability. Just start with those three. Again, you're checking with the body. This that blackness. Yeah. Control or security. When you when you mentioned control, it was like there was a little jolt of energy that came through me. It's like, yeah, I want to control my relationship status. I want to control the the trajectory of my love life or lack thereof. Yeah. I, yeah. I there's I mean, I could relate to approval, like I want to be liked, I want someone to love me kind of thing, but approval, there was a, a bigger kind of yes that just came out of me. Around control. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. So just for this moment, could you just allow yourself to want control? We're not trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Just acknowledge, yeah, I want control as much as I do. And can you just let yourself want control? There's a part of me that I don't want to admit it. Um, yeah. But I obviously do. So can I just allow it? Well, it's here. So, yeah, I just, I just felt my breath kind of deepen. Yeah, I yeah. think I can allow it to be here. Yeah, and we're not trying to get rid of it. It's just kind of what's here. What's here is there's sensation in the chest and there's wanting control. Beautiful. And as you allow wanting control to be here, just check, is anything happening to the sensation? Again, I'm not trying to make anything happen. Neither are you. We're just noticing what happens with the sensation when you allow wanting control. It's continuing to feel like it thins out. Um, it's, it's like it's a, dissipating and I wouldn't say it's spreading into my body, but it just seems to be dissolving a little bit that the, the tightness and the heaviness of it is just dissolving some. Yeah. Beautiful. Great. So the third question is the funny one. It's kind of awkward. We'd spend a lot more time on it. If we were working a longer thing, can you see how you're making all of this personal? Hmm. Now, all we mean by that is, doesn't it feel like it's your black heaviness in your chest? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, Who else, who's would else it be? is it? Right, right. Exactly. Right. Good. And doesn't it feel like it's your wanting control? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And doesn't it feel like your life that has some loneliness that wishes it was different? Yes. It's me and my story. It's me and. Yeah. Yeah. It's very personal. Yeah. That's right. It's personal. And by the way, we're not trying to get rid of that. Yeah. We always make things really personal. And the more personal we make things, the more the suffering increases. Mm-hmm. So again, we're not trying to get rid of making it personal. Just the last question is this. Can you just acknowledge you're making all of this personal mm-hmm. as though it's all about you and who you are? Yes. Yes. About yeah. when you say that about who I am, it's like, yeah, I'm making it mean something about me. It's not yes. just a, a heaviness in my chest. It's, it's almost like there's something wrong with me. Like, yes. yeah, I, I'm attaching meaning to it. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's what we do when we make stuff personal. So can you just welcome wanting to make it all so personal? Again, not trying to get rid of that. Just mm-hmm. welcome it. Yeah, like today yeah. is Wednesday and I'm making it personal. Right. There's a little laughter that comes up. Yeah, I think I, I can welcome that because it, yeah. it, it, there's a silliness to it, but, um, but it, there's a reality to it. Um, there but, is. Yeah. And now things really feel light. Now, now there's just more, yeah. more space. So Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. Okay. So that's the triple welcoming. Can you yeah. welcome what's here? And I, sometimes I won't say welcome, especially if the person I'm working with is new to this. Welcome seems like a bridge too far. So I'll just say acknowledge or allow. Yeah. <clears throat> and then can you welcome the wanting yeah. that is underneath it? Yeah. And then can you welcome making it all so personal? And remember, we started with suffering ends when you stop resisting what is. Mm-hmm. So you stop resisting the blackness, the heaviness, the word hopeless. You stop resisting that. You just let it be. 
You stop resisting that you want control. You just let yourself want control. And you stop resisting over-identification and personalization. You just welcome it. And for most people, as they do that, they begin to experience a subtle lightning. That's why I said you don't have to go to years of therapy. This is 10 minutes, mm-hmm. and things get lighter. Mm-hmm. And then if you keep this up as a practice, things get lighter and lighter and lighter, yeah. more open, more spacious, more present. Right. You, 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 can, you continue to meet reality with without resistance i'm just yes, acknowledging exactly. or welcoming this is what's here now exactly. because yeah it just ties back into what we said at the very beginning that that's where the suffering comes is when you have a big fat no to what's yeah. real to what's really here you're you're shaking your fist at the, in, in the face of reality and yeah. welcoming just seems to say i'm saying yes to it i'm just like yeah that's what's here and there's a yeah an opening well our time is up, Jim. That was really fun. So grateful for you to take the time out to share your wisdom here. I'm going to link to your book in the show notes. I'll link to your website. So people, right. because you have so many awesome resources. Yeah. Every I've one got of the a meditation on this various thing that we yeah. just did. There's a meditation. on. Right. You have guided meditations, I think, on almost all of the 15 commitments. All of and, them. Yep. Right. So, yeah, your website is like a hub. If people want to live, love, lead consciously, that's a good place to find some action. (laughs) So, yeah, terrific. Thank you very much, Jim. You're welcome, buddy. Great being with you. Well, okay. So I'm trying to feel into where you might be right now having heard what you heard. Perhaps your head is spinning. Perhaps you're feeling inspired and motivated. Perhaps you're even confused about some of the things that you heard. Listen, all I want to say is I want to invite you to follow up with me by email, Roy at coachingwithroy.com. You can call me 407-687-3387. You know, I exist to coach people around the areas that you just experienced. Now, you can't work with Jim directly. He doesn't really work with individuals anymore. He just works with teams. And I believe he's somewhere in the neighborhood of $25,000 per day. Okay, so unless you're Bill Gates, you're out of his, you're, you're you know, you can't afford that. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> Right. So, but you might want some follow up with that. We talked about that being the creator of your reality, that the, the, the commitment and and your results, that is some unbelievably powerful things. Um, we talked about candor, what that really means to be open and honest. And you even heard Jim talk about how risky that is. Uh, but also the incredible benefits that it brings when you take that risk. And then we did that triple welcoming thing. It is an unbelievable process to just drop the resistance to whatever you're experiencing. And that was a very short and simple little exposure to the triple welcoming thing. And I can do that with you. I can work with you around that. I can walk you through those questions So I just want to invite you to act on your behalf and follow up with me concerning some of the things that you've heard on this podcast or maybe even the other podcasts. Maybe you've been thinking about working with me directly or at least talking about it, exploring what it would be like and what would be involved. Perhaps you're Listen to a number of podcasts and you're beginning to feel some trust. You're beginning to resonate with what's being said here. I just want to encourage you to reach out and take a step in, in, in your own, in kind of your own defense, in your own wanting to live an amazing life and create a great relationship for yourself. I mean, there was a point in time 
when I had to pick the phone up and I had to call my coach and say, would you work with me? I'm lost. That was not easy to do. It was scary. I didn't know what she would think of me when she heard some of the realities of the things that I was experiencing. I was afraid of being judged and all of that. But hiring a coach was the best thing that I ever did. It changed the entire trajectory of my life. And I believe that you and I could create the same experience. All right. Thank you for your time. I hope you were touched by everything. I'd love to hear your feedback. And until we meet again one week from now, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.